Welcome to the men's global live stream. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in part two of a new series called Be Good Trouble. Men, I want you to be good trouble. Just like we talked about last week, man, you are the wall. You're not useless. You're not a problem. Culture is trying to tell you uh, that you are the problem, that you are trouble. Well, I'm telling you, fine. Let's be good trouble. Let's be God's man. Let's, let's develop that ethos of courage, that ethos of courage that God gave us when he put us in the garden and told us to cultivate it and to keep it, to protect it, to grow it. Man, I love being a man. I'm so happy God made me a man. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not afraid to say that. Every day, I think you need to look in the mirror and say, I love being a man. Inside of every man is that, is that warrior, is that victor. And it's, it's, it's a champion. There's a champion inside of every one of us. And we've got we've to let that warrior out. We've got to let that champion out. And we've got to train him up to be God's man. And that's, that's what I love about God's definition of manhood and masculinity. We don't have to redefine it. We don't have to reinvent it. It is timeless. God's given us the good definition and he's given us the good example of what it means to be his man in his son, King Jesus. If you need to know what it means to be God's man, all you have to do is look to Jesus. And I want to be like Jesus. So what does it mean? Last week I told you um, I'm going to give you a series of questions, uh, a path to follow in developing an ethos of courage to be a courageous man, God's man. So I'm going to give you four questions today. And, and, and here's what I can guarantee. If you, if you get in the habit of asking and answering honestly these four questions, no matter what situation you're in, whether you're driving your kids to school, whether you're going into the shopping mall, whether you're going into work, no matter whatever situation you come into, if these questions are in the back of your mind and you're asking them and then answering them, you will develop what I call an ethos of courage. Um, uh, you, will, you will become um, a courageous, godly man. Now, there's a little bit of um, uh, catechism in this, right? The, uh, the old question and, and answers that... That sounds super Catholic. It sounds it sounds Presbyterian. I think secretly I'm a I'm an old school Presbyterian, but but I love catechism. I love questions and answers that help build and and plant truth deep down inside of us. Like I catechize my kids. I catechize my family. There um, there's a creed. We call it the Harper Family Creed. It's a series of questions and and answers that that my children know. I, I start to teach them when they're two years old. If my if my three year old walked into the room right now and you said you said Oliver, why did God make you strong? He would say to help the weak. If you said Oliver, why why has God blessed you? Why has He made you rich? He'll say to help the poor. If you say, Oliver, why, why did God 
um, make you handsome and smart. He'll say to bring him glory. Just questions and answers. So at Better Man, we've, we've developed these, these four questions that not only are we teaching boys and young men and old men, but we're teaching every man to, to ask themselves these four questions as they walk into a situation. And if they answer them, they will develop an ethos of courage. Are you ready? Question one. The first question is, what is missing? What's missing right now from the situation I'm in that I can bring something to the table? I can add something. You see, men, I am created. You are created in the image of God. You have particular gifts. You have particular talents. And I believe when you rightly employ those gifts and rightly employ those talents, man, you make the world a better place. The world is better because you're in it. You bring something to the table. And as a man, if there's not a table, you build one. You go, you go procure one. Because there are, there are things missing in this world that, that, that only, only you can add as a man, as a husband, as a father. Think about that. You know, one of the things missing... Uh, in our church today, missing in the local church is, is older men discipling younger men. Most of the churches I go to, um, it's like an awkward eighth grade dance, right? The boys on one side, the girls on the other side, and somebody's just waiting to break the ice. You have, you have the older men on this side and uh, uh, kind of looking down on the younger men, and you've got the, the, the younger men on this side that think the older men have nothing to offer, and it's just like this awkward dance. Um, no one's meeting in the middle. Well, one of the things missing from our church, missing from our culture today, is, is older, wiser men who... Who, who have lived more, who have experienced more, who have tripped and fallen more, speaking down and offering that guidance and, and, and wisdom to, to younger men. I think there are a lot of older men in the church today that um, feel like they, they don't have a lot to offer. Maybe, maybe they feel like they have more in the tank, but, but the church and society and culture is not utilizing them. Man, I get it. But I'm telling you, as an older man, you have more in the tank than you think. And you do have something to offer. You know, shortly after I became a Christian, um, I didn't know what Christians did. I just thought they, they served people. So shortly after my conversion, I went to a church service event. I went to a mission partner. And, and as I walked through the door, this 70-year-old retired pipe fitter with a sixth grade education looked at me and said, son, you have the countenance of the Lord on you. I said, bro, I have no idea what that means. He said, do you know what God wants from you? And I said, no, sir. He said, he desires obedience before sacrifice. Do you know where that's at in his word? I said, no, sir. Do you know, do you know that old man took me into his home and set me at his kitchen table and he began to walk me through the word of God? He began to train me up in the ways of God. I am, I am sitting here today, a lover of Jesus, a lover of my wife, a lover of my family, a lover of the local church, 
because of this 70-year-old pipe fitter with a sixth grade education. What's crazy is, is shortly after his and I relationship together, um, he introduced me to his granddaughter 15 years ago whom I married. Sometimes you find a mentor and a wife. <laughs> the greatest uh, joy of my life was flying back to Southeast Christian Church a few years ago and preaching his funeral. What a what an amazing man of God. Taught me how to evangelize, taught me how to witness, taught me how to live and love and serve well. A 70-year-old pipe fitter with a sixth grade education, man, if he can, if he can do it, any of us can do it. Older men, listen to me. You've got stuff left in the tank. The church needs you. Younger men need you. Younger men, you need to swallow your pride. You need to learn a little humility. And you need to go to these older men and say, teach me. Hey, I just want to fall. I want to trip a little less than you did. Teach me. And that's missing from our, from our church today. I could go on and on with this, right? There, there are things missing from our homes today, men, that only you provide. Only you can be the, the chief priest and prophet of your home. We're going to talk about that in weeks to come. But, but like you've got to be leading your family in the word and the worship of God. Like men, only, only you can be the, uh, the guy praying with and for your wife. Like it needs to be you first and foremost. Like you're the pastor of your house. Like I belong to a local church and, and I have a senior pastor and like I am under his authority. But make no mistake, I am the first pastor of my home. My wife doesn't go around town saying, you know, Pastor Eric said this. No, no, my husband says this. And I'm the first pastor of my home. Another thing that's missing from our homes are families gathering around the dinner table. Do you know the number one indicator of success, the number one indicator of physical and emotional and spiritual health in your children as they get older is how many meals they share together as a family. You want your children to be emotionally healthy. You want your children to be spiritually and physically healthy. Eat dinner with them. Like gather around the dinner table. There are too many dinners and nights in this country where, where there are men absent from the home. And, and there are none more guilty uh, than me. Somebody that travels all around the country and speaks and, and teaches about this. There, there are times I, 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 I can go a whole week without having a meal, having a dinner with my family. And I've, I've got to ask for forgiveness. And I've got to be more intentional the number one indicator of success in the life of your child is, is meals shared around the dinner table. And men, you lead in that. You lead in that. It doesn't, it doesn't mean a woman can't or it doesn't mean a woman shouldn't or won't. I grew up in a home where, where I had a father who wasn't a believer. My mother was the spiritual giant in our home and I praise God. Without that woman, I don't know if I would be a Christ follower but it wasn't God's design. That's not how God designed it. God didn't design her to spiritually lead me. The, the man, the dad should have been doing that. So men, what's, 
What's missing that only you can add? That's the first question. The second question is what's broken that you can fix? Man, what's broken that I can fix? Maybe, maybe it's a flat tire. Maybe it's a broken heart. But God has given me, as a man, God has given me power to, to create things and to redeem broken things. I'm a, I'm a royal priest. I'm a minister of reconciliation. That's what Corinthians says. I can take broken things and I can bring them back together. In the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers. The actual Greek there says, blessed are the peace creators. We're not just making peace. We actually, as men, we create peace wherever we go. Man, when I walk into an office, when I walk into a classroom, when I, when I walk into my home, I should be creating peace all around me. Like my family, my wife, my children, a stranger, they should feel secure in my presence. What's broken that I can fix? I was, I was driving with my son not too long ago and there was a car broken down on the side of the road and we stopped to help. My son said, why are we stopping? I said, because we can. <laughs> because we can. God has created us as men and designed us as men to, to fix broken things. Now, some of you men are thinking right now, man, Chris, that's good, but... But my wife doesn't want me to fix anything. She just wants me to listen. As a matter of fact, she gets mad when I try to fix things. And, and, and so hear me say this. When I say fix broken things, it doesn't necessarily mean you grab a hammer and some duct tape and go to work. Sometimes fixing things in your home is far beyond your control. And your method of fixing things is getting on your knees and pleading before God on behalf of your wife, behalf of your family. God, this is out of my control. God, I can do nothing about this. God, I need your power. I need your spirit. God, I need you to move. More times than not, when I'm trying to fix something broken in my world, in my ecosystem, in my home, it looks like me getting on my face before God. Man, what's, what's broken that I can fix? Listen to me, man. This is, this is powerful. Sometimes the, the broken thing in your world that needs to be fixed is you. Man, it's your brokenness. It's your trauma. It's your pain. We men tend to think that, that all this pain and hurt in our life, we can just bury it. We can just push it down, right? Um, we can forget about it or we can... We can lace up and strap up and we can overcome it. That David Goggins, Grant Cardone approach, right? That's nonsense. Man, pain doesn't lay dormant. Listen to me. This is, this is a good principle for life. Any pain in your life, any brokenness in your life, any pain in your life that you are not allowing the gospel to transform, you will ultimately transfer onto someone else. Any pain in your life that is not being transformed, man, you're going to transfer that pain onto your wife. You're going to transfer that pain onto your children. You're going to transfer it onto your neighbor, your employer, your employees. Any pain that's not being transformed, any brokenness that's not being fixed, 
is going to affect the future. You got to be aware of that. You got to know that. And you got to seek God's will and God's plan. You need to seek the face of God in that. What's broken that I can fix? That's the second question. The third question, are you ready? What's evil that I can destroy? So what's missing that I can add? What's broken that I can fix? What's evil that I can destroy? Brothers, there's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of evil in the world that needs to be destroyed, right? Sometimes it's the blatant evil of a man raping another woman on a train. And like, we've got to step in and stop. We've got to step in and stop it. Like, we're not going to allow women to be publicly or even privately abused. Like we're going to step in and we're going to defend the voiceless and we're going to defend the marginalized and we're going to defend those we love. We're going to defend our neighbor. We're going to defend the stranger if they need defending. Sometimes it's physical, blatant, real evil that we've got to step in. Sometimes it's 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 the evil of, of gossip, right? There's gossip at the water cooler or an inappropriate joke. We're just not going to be quiet. We're just not going to let that happen. We're going to step in and stand up and say, hey, we don't talk like that or we don't say those things, right? We're just going to kill blatant evil. Most men don't even have enough courage to do that. But you need to ask yourself, man, is there anything evil happening right now that I can put an end to? But here's where it gets interesting. More times than not, it's not the physical evil in the world that needs to be destroyed. It's the evil within me that needs to be destroyed. I used to think that if someone broke into my house and went to assault my wife or assault my children, like, like I would stand between them and my wife. I would. I would stand between them and, and my children. If, if I'm lying in bed with my wife and I hear someone kick in the front door, like I don't nudge her and say, hey, you go check it out. No, no, I'm from Texas. So like I grab a shotgun and I go check it out. So I used to think if anyone moved to assault my family, like I would stand between them and my family. Here's what I've come to learn as a Christian. The man that comes home every day and has the greatest chance at assaulting my wife and assaulting my children is me. Through my passivity, through my indifference, through my lack of gentleness, through my lack of self-control. Like it's the evil in me that I have to destroy. Make no mistake, I am a new creation in Christ. Man, I am saved. I am washed in the blood of Jesus. But as Paul talks about in Romans 6 and Romans 7, like that old man of death, the old Chris Harper is still there. He's still there. Every morning I have to wake up and I have to drown that old man of death. The problem is he's a really good swimmer, man. He's a really good swimmer, like Michael Phelps type gold medal stuff. But every day I've got to wake up and I've got to drown that old man. It's the evil within me that I've got to destroy. How do I do that? I do that through prayer. I do that through leaning and trusting in Christ, the Holy Spirit. I do that through the word of God, just washing myself in the word of God. It can't come from me. It's got to be supernatural. It was a supernatural thing that saved me. And it's a supernatural thing that sustains me. But it's the evil in me. 
that I've got to destroy. So, man, what's missing that I can add? What's broken that I can fix? What's evil that I can destroy? And lastly, man, this is my favorite. What's good that I can preserve? As bad as the world is, man, there's a lot of good in it too. And we've got to be paying attention to that. We can, we can get so negative. We can get so cynical, especially us in the church, right? I hear, I hear people complaining about the way of the world and the plight of the world and, and, and the church all the time. As if somehow God's going to stop working His mission. As if somehow God's going to stop doing His will. Like the church has been through a lot worse. The world has been through a lot worse. Christianity is not hereditary. The next Billy Graham is probably drunk in a frat house right now. The next Mother Teresa is probably at an abortion clinic right now. Like, like God always has a remnant. God is always raising up a people to do good in this world, to do good for and on behalf of his church, to put his good works on display. God's got this. Man, our job should be looking for like, man, what good can I preserve? What good can I replicate? I love my, um, my oldest son, 10 years old. His name's Malachi, tremendous young man. He's not a great athlete, kind of like his dad. <laughs> so uh, on his basketball team, he rides the bench a lot. He, he rarely plays. Uh, last season, his, his team won the city championship. And part of the course, like he was, he was on the bench as the game was unfolding. Fourth quarter, less than a minute left. They're down by one. Uh, my son's best friend uh, basically hits the game-winning shot, like at the buzzer, game-winning shot. And I love what happened next. My son jumped up off the bench. He ran out to the middle of the floor, and he tackled his best friend. He was so happy for his best friend. He was so happy for the success of someone else. And I remember sitting in the crowd and thinking, man, I want to be just like him. Man, that's so good. We're in the truck and I'm saying, son, I'm so proud of you. And he looks at me and he's like, dad, why? I didn't even get to play. And I'm like, no, son, like at the end of the game, man, you boosted that guy. You picked that guy up that hit the winning shot, like you lived out Philippians 2, 3, consider others as more important than yourself. Oh, son, I want to be like you. I want that to be my mantra. It was so good. That's the type of good I want to preserve. That's the type of good I want to promote. Men, I guarantee you that if you, if, if, if you go through life Every situation you come into, every spot, every position, and you're asking yourself those four questions, and you're ready to answer. Most of the time, you're not going to need to answer, right? Most of life is mundane, day-to-day, -day, I get it. But every now and then, you're going to need to answer, man, what's missing that I can add? What's broken that I can fix? What's evil that I can destroy? And what's good that I can preserve? You will develop an ethos of courage, and it will change your life. It will change how you go about the world. It will change your marriage. It will change how you parent. It'll change everything. And over the next couple of weeks, I can't wait to share with you about that change, what those changes will look like. Until then, if you want to learn more about being God's man, man, check us out at Better Man 
www.thepowerofprayer.com. We have a ton of free resources, blogs, podcasts. You can check us out on Insta at The Better Man Movement. To learn more, check out betterman.com, and I can't wait to be with you next week.